I'm really thankful for Alex and Jabez. It's not often that uh, you have like pretty great musical talent in a group our size. And I know there's even more of you out there when you're ready to come forward and ready to do it. Let's do it. We could, uh, yeah, let's do it. We're going to start something new today. Um, and just kind of a new discussion, a new series, a new topic. And there's going to be some stuff throughout the week that we'll challenge each other with around it. But really, this is the want to jump into the good news, the gospel, what we call, um, is the good news of, 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 of Jesus. And just felt like it was a really good uh, season to kind of jump into that and really talk about what is this good news that we are supposed to be good news people. We're supposed to be people of the good news. We're supposed to be people who, are, who have received the good news who stand on the good news, who reflect the good news. It's good news. It should be good news when people come into contact with us. It should be good news when uh, people, our lives intersect with others, when we come into communities, when we come into workplaces, when we come into schools. It should be good news because we've been transformed and changed by good news. And good news is all around us through Jesus. And so wanted to really, as a community understand what we mean by good news, also have a language that we can communicate this good news, and uh, this is for all of us. Uh, And so I'm really excited about the next several weeks, and today we're just going to kind of take a a bird's eye view of the big story of the good news as a story throughout history, but I want to start in 1 Corinthians 15, Alex read it. Uh, we have one of the earliest followers of Jesus. He, he, he knew the resurrected Christ, the resurrected Christ, the resurrected Jesus, interacted with Paul, and he wrote this. He went around, Jesus changed his life to the extent that he went around the whole known world and proclaimed this good news that he had encountered in Jesus. It became the theme of his life. It became the motivating force of his life, the energizing force of his life. And he'll say at one point that he's not ashamed of the gospel, of the good news, because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone, to the Jew and to the Gentile, to everyone. And so he's so not ashamed that he goes around at great cost to himself. He's persecuted. He's beaten. He's stoned. He's shipwrecked. He's left for dead several times to the very point where he's imprisoned for two or three years, still preaching, teaching, saying, telling the good news to his captors, to the prisoners, to the fellow prisoners and to the guards that are chained to him, to the very point where they kill him for this message. He had been so transformed. And this is what he says. He's writing to the the church in Corinth to, to which he... Preached, He says, I preach to you this good news. Gospel is a translation of, it literally means good news. It's the Greek word evangelion. It's a good news message. So that's when you see the word gospel, literally means good news. Now, he says in verse 1, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you, 
And I'm going to use this because you have this version. Which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, by this good news, you are saved. The ESV says you are being saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And then he goes on and he says, For what I have received, I received this from Jesus. I passed on to you as of utmost importance. And this is it, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day, again, according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, another word for Peter, and then to the twelve, to His disciples, and after that He appeared to more than 500 people, brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me, to one abnormally born. And the reason he says abnormally born is because he actually persecuted the church. He was a, a, a part of really a radical sect of Judaism that went around killing Christians. And Jesus appeared to him and said, Stop it! You're killing people of the good news. And he was converted by Christ himself and went around proclaiming the gospel, the good news, until he himself was killed for it. So he's a terrorist converted to the very faith of the people that he terrorized. This was written about 20, 30 years um, within the lifetime of Jesus to the point that of the 500 people or so that had seen Jesus, some are living some are bearing witness to, yes, I saw this Jesus who I saw him die. I saw him put in a tomb. And then I saw him walking around. So this is the good news. And he says, according to the scriptures. Now what's the scriptures, right? We know he's referring to the Old Testament or the Old Covenant or the Old Promises. The first half or first kind of two-thirds of our Bible, which is the Hebrew Scriptures, which is the Jewish Scriptures. And these are full of the story of God, of God's redemptive move towards humanity, right? God is moving on a rescue mission to rescue humanity. And this is the story of God that Jesus comes on the scene as the fulfillment of. All right, so that's what we want to look at. But I want you to think about what is the best news you have ever heard in your life. An announcement that was just like, sends chills up your spine even as you think about it now. I wonder if there's an event like that in your life that's good news. I think of, really I think of a a day when, for me, I was on sabbatical at the time, so I was at home, resting and uh, checked my email and we were in the process of adoption with Jackson we didn't know it was, we didn't know his name we didn't know who he was we were just um, in the process and I checked my email and we got an email the memo line says your son boom right like whoa like the feeling of 
wow, like shaking the mouse, you know, you're going to click on open, and there it is. You have been matched with your son, South Korea, and there's a picture of him, and you can go to our house, and the picture that they sent to us is in our house of this little baby with tons of black hair, frizzing out, and he still has the, he can still show the same look on his face that he had, just kind of this curled eyebrows, and you know, it's just Jackson. And that's like, one of the, that's such good news. Same with Juliet, right? Which was a total surprise when we found out we were pregnant with Juliet after a time, like miscarriage and infertility. And Juliet is here. What? Um, there's announcements like that in your life. There's good news announcements like that in our life. And the good news that we're talking about, though, like far surpasses that, which I can't even, I mean, it's just, it's the best news, this good news. This good news is a message concerning an event, okay? So the good news is not primarily a lifestyle. The good news is not primarily a message. The good news is an announcement about an event that happened through a person in history over 2,000 years ago and continues to make ripples throughout history to our present day. Here's um, a paraphrase of a guy named N.T. Wright, a scholar. He says this about Christianity. He says, Christianity isn't a path of spirituality. It isn't a rule of life. It isn't a political agenda. He says it includes... And it energizes these things, but at its, very, at its very heart, it is something different. Christianity is something different. It is good news about an event which has happened in the world. An event because of which the world can never be the same again. And, he says, those who believe in it and live by it, will, thank God, never be the same again either. See, this good news changed the world, and this good news changes those who believe it and live by it. It changes the world from the inside of people out. It changes the world, and it transforms the very fabric of the way that we experience life and reality. This good news changes everything. And it's about an event. And so over the next weeks, we're going to unpack this event. And we're going to look at next week the good news in one word. The next week after that, we're going to look at the good news in two words, three words, sorry, three words. And the week after, in the weeks after that, we're going to look at the good news in 30 words, all right? And we're going to unpack the multidimensional beauty, the multifaceted Uh, beauty of this good news that is life-transforming, world-transforming, creation, universe-altering, this good news. So before we do that, though, what this event is all about, like I said, is about the person of Jesus Christ from Nazareth who walked this earth in the first century, 2,000 years ago, in Palestine, and... From that, spurred on, changed the world. 
And so he's part of a big story. So the gospel is a big, is a big story that we need to grasp our minds uh, around. <clears throat> and what we tend to do is focus in on one event, and we usually focus in only on the event of Christ's death, sometimes not even talking about his resurrection and not really even talking much about his life either. And what we need to do before we zoom in with a microscope, we need to zoom out telescopically, right? We need to get the big picture, the universal big good news story into which Jesus fits and into which we fit and into which and of which Jesus is the culmination, the climax, the apex, the key. And so as we understand the big picture, we'll be better able to understand the specifics and the multidimensional beauty of this good news. That's what we're going to be doing. So I want to, um, because they're so well done, and I hope you like them as much as I do, but there's these videos, Bible Project, I'm, real, I'm a pretty big believer in it, it's really well done, and there, the Bible is a huge book, right? And the Bible tells the story of humanity and of God's redemption. And so we want to look at this together. And this video is about five, five minutes. And we're going to, um, hopefully it works right away. Um, and this will give you a, big, a sense of the big picture of the Bible. The Bible is an yes. important book. But it's Yeah, it's a collection of many books written over a long period of time. But altogether, they tell one unified story. So, what's the story of the Bible? Well, it begins by introducing us to a beautiful mind, the author of all reality, a being called God. And he has the power to take the dark chaos of the uncreated world and bring about order and beauty and a garden full of life. And to crown this accomplishment, God appoints these creatures called humanity, or in Hebrew, Adam. And they're made as God's image. Which means that they're commissioned to rule this beautiful world on God's behalf by harnessing all of its potential and creating even more beauty and order. This is a story about humans using their power to do meaningful, life-giving work. But the question is, how? And yet humanity now faces a choice that's represented by a fruit tree. So humans could partner with God and find freedom by trusting in his knowledge of good and evil. Or... They could seize power and define good and evil on their own, which, God warns, will kill them. And they hear the voice of a dark, mysterious creature that tells them, the choice is simple, take the fruit. It will give you power and freedom to rule the world on your own terms. And so they seize this knowledge, and as a result, they become suspicious and self-protective. It leads to fractured relationships, violent power grabs, and ultimately, a whole civilization Babylon that has redefined people as good. And so, God scatters this corrupted human project. And here the story of the Bible takes an important turn. We zoom into the story of a man and a woman who come out of Babylon, Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, God promises that from them will come a new people, a nation that has another chance to make the right choice. And if they succeed, it will open up this new way forward for the rest of humanity. And this is why the rest of the Bible story is about this family. And it does not go well. Despite God's personal guidance, Abraham's family gives in to that same temptation to redefine good and evil on their own terms, apart from God. Even when the rest of the people were in charge, rulers who loved God's guidance and had divine wisdom, even they gave in. 
And so Israel was warned by their own prophets that these choices would lead them back to Babylon, this time as conquered captives living in exile, and that's exactly what happened. So even with God's personal guidance, Israel fails. Who can succeed? Well, the prophet said that the story wasn't over. God's going to send a new leader to Israel to cover for their failures and to transform the people's hearts and minds so that they can make the right choice. And so the part of the Bible called the Old Testament ends, and these promises are left hanging. And then the biblical story continues into the New Testament. We're introduced to a man who comes from the line of Israel's kings, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said that he was bringing all these promises to their completion. He confronted that dark, mysterious evil that all humanity has given into and resisted its power. And then he announced that God had arrived to rule the world through himself. Jesus taught about God's definition of good and evil, and he said that real power is serving others. According to Jesus, it's people who love the poor and even love their enemies. These are the kinds of people who actually rule the world. And that's confusing, but also really beautiful. And so is the claim that the story goes on to make about Jesus, that he is God become human, to be for Israel and for all of humanity what we could never be for ourselves. He came to take the consequences of our evil into himself, and his sacrificial love proved more powerful than evil, than even death itself. So now humanity is presented with a new choice. Represented by a new tree. Stick with the old way of being human, or venture into this new way. And in the story, those who choose the way of Jesus find themselves energized by God's own power. People who know that they are loved and forgiven by God can become people who love and forgive others in return. The Jesus movement quickly spread throughout the world, forming these new communities of people who follow the way of Jesus. But they faced problems. There was persecution from the outside by people in power, and inside there was confusion, even compromise. Yeah, because following Jesus is really harsh. And so the movement's leaders, called apostles, they wrote letters to comfort and to challenge these communities to stay faithful to the difficult way of Jesus. And they're called to hope for the day when Jesus will come and change everything. And so the Bible ends by pointing to the future day, when all wrongs are made right, when evil is eradicated, heaven and earth are united, and humanity can rule the world together in the love and power of God. Okay. So that's the story of the Bible, and it brings all of these books together. But what's interesting is that each book contains a different kind of literature that contributes to the story in a unique way, and that's what the next video will begin to explore. All right, so what they just did in about five minutes is give you, can you flip that light on for me, is give you uh, a big picture overview of what scripture is all about and what history is all about the big movements of what we would call redemption, redemptive history. How God has been at work since the beginning of uh, time to redeem the world to himself. So this is what you could call the CFRR story of the Bible. It's in four major movements. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. This is kind of gives you some categories to put the big picture of the Bible in because sometimes we can get so microscopically engaged we miss the forest for the trees. And we're saying, oh, look at this verse and this and this gives me meaning for today. And we forget that this is a part of a big story of a big movement 
of a big God working for the redemption of all the universe. And so, creation, we learn about primarily in Genesis, the first book in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Creation tells us what God wants for the world, what God wants for us. He is, God is, Trinity. He exists in perfect loving communion with God's self, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one in three persons. He doesn't need humanity. He doesn't need creation. He exists from eternity past, and He lives in full sufficiency and sufficient love within God's self. But as an extension of God's love and as an expression of God's love, He creates the universe. Because love is by definition relational. Love needs something to love, right? Someone to love. And God loves, is perfect love within God's self, but it also love expands to increase and to share uh, that love. And so creation is designed and made to share in perfect loving communion with God. That's why we were created. That's why creation exists to experience the love and communion and perfect harmony with God. This is a word, a word in the Bible, uh, in Hebrew, that gets at this word, uh, idea is shalom. It's the word for peace in Hebrew. You'll still hear it if you go to Israel. But it, it's more than just absence of hostility. Shalom is wellness in all direction. It is human flourishing in its fullest uh, expression. It is as I've said many times, and you'll hear me say many times again, the way God intended the world and to be is shalom, which is perfect, loving, harmonious relationship with God, perfect, harmonious, loving relationship with other human beings, perfect, harmonious, loving relationship between human beings and creation. That's how God created the world and that's what we are for to live in loving perfect relationship with God with one another and with creation however is that your experience of the world nod your head no it's not we experience brokenness we experience violence we experience hostility we experience division we experience disease we experience death and loss and pain and brokenness and sickness and all of this and so what happened the fall. What happened to us and what went wrong with the world is the question, the answer, the question that this asks. And the answer is, as we saw in the video, is that we exchanged a God-centered life for a self-centered life. Humanity turned their back on God and walked away from this loving relationship that they could have and experience, this shalom, and chose to be self-centered, self-ruling, rather than God-centered and under God's rule. And so with that comes the influx of pain and death and what we call sin and chaos and division and turmoil, and it just gets worse and worse, spiraling out of control more and more and more and more and more. And God, though, from the very beginning, from the very moment of that fall, speaks hope into that darkest moment of human history. Right from the beginning, he is on the moon and his... On the moon, not on the moon. On the move. On the move. 
And his posture is one of love and rescue towards us. Genesis 3.15, it's called the pre-gospel. It's called the promise that, that one would come and make all these wrong things right. That the serpent, the, the, that Satan's descendants, right, would bruise this one on the heel, but he would crush Satan, death, disease, sickness, sin on the head. And so from the very moment, God moves to redeem the world and to rescue it. And he chooses Abraham, which becomes the family of Israel. And he says, hey, reflect my glory, reflect shalom to the world and invite all to experience it. And they too, just like Adam, turn away and rebel and they don't live faithfully as God called them to do. And he sends the prophets and he sends priests and he sends kings. But none of them, all of them, fail to live up to God's perfect desire for the world. And they choose self-centeredness rather than God-centeredness until Jesus. And that gets at the redemption piece. What has God done through Jesus to put things right? Jesus comes on the scene as a Jew, as an Israelite, as the perfect prophet, as the perfect Israelite, as the perfect priest, as the perfect king, the rightful king, and he succeeds everywhere, in every way that Israel failed. Israel failed to reflect God and his shalom and his glory, and Jesus succeeds. He resists the temptation of enemy. He resists the temptation to power through violence and through um, division and through self-aggrandizement and pride. And he takes the path of service and he lives a life of obedience to God. But here's the thing. Jesus not only comes with the message of the kingdom of God, he is the message. And that's what's unique about Jesus. He not only comes with a message, he is the very message. He's not only a a proclaimer of the good news. He is good news embodied. He is God with us. And we're going to talk about that. And then the final chapter yet to be fully written. We have glimpses of it, but of final and complete restoration. And this is only possible through what Jesus has done. But when Jesus rises from the dead, he gives hope for new creation and renewal to take over and sweep over all of creation that the curse will finally be and completely be reversed. All wrong things will be made right. Justice, shalom will be. Human flourishing, the universe will be in a state of shalom upon Christ's return. That's the big story. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And this is the story that makes sense of all other stories. And this is the story that makes sense of your story. This is the story into which we live and we participate. And this is the story that Jesus is at the center of. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. So, final thoughts, quickly. Why should you care? What do I hope, how do I hope you respond? And there's a couple different ways I hope you respond. First, if you haven't yet you're still not sure about this good news. You're still not sure about Jesus and who He is and what He's done. If you're not sure about this, then I want to invite you, please, 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 to walk this journey with us and like consider 
this good news. And look at Jesus. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at Jesus and consider, is, this, is his life and are his words and is this story, is this winsome to you? Does this make sense of your experience? Does this seem, does this man, this, this Jesus and this news and this message, the multifaceted, multidimensional good news that we're going to talk about, does it resonate with my heart? Does it resonate with my experience? Does it resonate with my needs as a human being? I, I, I hope you really consider, consider it. Um, so I want you to dive in to this. And let me say this, too. That it's not... I heard someone say this uh, just the other day, or I read it. It's not the amount of faith that saves us, it's the object of our faith that saves us. So I want you to consider the object of our faith, the event of the good news. Because there's going to be, there'll be some uncertainty, there'll be some doubt, and, and we're never going to be fully on board. But here's, here's an example of what I mean. It's not the amount of faith, but the object of our faith. Imagine two women, or men, however you want to envision it, are about to board a plane. One person is like super confident in the plane's ability and the crew's ability to get up in the air, cross the ocean, and land in safety to their vacation destination, all right? She has no worries. She has no concerns. She's got her magazines. She's got everything. She's ready to sit down, watch some movies, read some books, and get over safely. The other woman has virtually no confidence in this plane. And is super nervous that the crew and the plane is not going to get her across the ocean and on to dry land on the other side. Both step on the plane because they've got to get to where they're going. The plane takes off, goes over the ocean, lands safely. They get off the plane. Was it the object of their faith in that plane and crew or the amount of their faith that got them safely to the other side. It's the object, right? Because the plane was worthy of flight. The pl- and the crew knew what they were doing. And so whether or not this woman had little faith and just took a step of faith onto that plane, or you're just totally 100%, yep, I'm good, let's go. They both got to the other side. So as you consider this, I believe Christianity is, 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 is reasonable and has historical credibility, and we can, talk, we can talk all about that. But my encouragement to you is to look on the object and the event of this good news. And at some point, we're all called to step on to the plane. Even in 1 Corinthians, we said, this is the good news which you received and upon which you stand and by which you are being saved. It's a journey. It's a journey into deeper faith. And that leads us to those of you who have already accepted and taken that step and, and are living and standing on the gospel. Why do we need to rehash this? Because it is who we are. And we can never understand and fully grasp the, the immense uh, multidimensional beauty of this gospel. And the more we receive and the more we understand, the more we are able to communicate and the more we are able to see life through a gospel lens, through a good news lens, and it changes everything. 
It changes how we view our parenting. It changes how we view being a child. It changes how we view sickness. It changes how we view death. It changes how we view life. It changes how we view work. It changes how we view um, our weaknesses and our failures and our addictions and our doubts. It changes all of this. So the more we understand the gospel and the more we remind ourselves of the gospel is what Paul was saying, we will be changed and we will be made into more deeper and deeper expressions of good news people that have been forgiven and that understand the depths of our love and that can sh- of God's love and can share that. And so my challenge is that we would really engage this fully and and begin to share it with people as well. Share it with each other, remind each other of it. Because it is the best news and it's the biggest story that we are a part of and can be a part of. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you are you are Lord and you are King and you are the one to whom we can come for for hope and for meaning and for transformation and for change and that you have changed everything. You've changed the world and you change us from the inside out as we step on to that firm foundation of that good news event in the life and death and resurrection and exaltation of Jesus. Lord, just speak to us, Lord, and and teach us and call us and draw us deeper into who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to continue worshiping uh, a couple couple songs. And uh, I...